I'm Diren Garrihy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter to feeling laughed at, to the person they always laugh with. I'll never forget once, like, we were watching, um, um, we were watching, I think, like, a, like this was years ago, watching like MTV Bass and Music Channel, and my mum looked, Little Wayne, he was like, it was a music video with Little Wayne in it, <laughs> and she looked dead at him and was like, is that Whoopi Goldberg? No! <laughs> she was like deadly serious. <laughs> she was like deadly serious. She was like, oh, is that Whoopi Goldberg? And I was like, that is, the thing is she says stuff like that every day. Like she's the funniest person I've ever met. Award-winning journalist, author, and podcaster, Yami Edagaki is my guest this week. She talks to me about her love for laughter with her sisters, her experiences with racism in school and college, and her passion for The Only Way is Essex. I hope you enjoy. Yami Edegoke, you're extremely welcome to The Laughs of Your Life. Hi, thanks for having me. How did I do? Well done with the face. Yes! You did well, you did well. (laughs) Okay, well, like, honestly, I'm quite taken aback. Well, okay, I'm not going to lie. So I have had a life of um, a name that is very hard to pronounce as well. So I know how it feels. So I was like, I'm going to I'm going to just I'm going to research this. And the very first video that comes up on YouTube, you actually say your name. So I was like, this is great. I mean, that that just I'm like, you cheated then. But, you know, I I totally (laughs) cheated. I totally did very well. How do you actually pronounce your name? I was going to ask. So it's Theron. Dieran, okay, thank you for saying that. <laughs> it's Irish, and it's look. Even Irish people don't get it right, so we won't. We won't worry. Okay, let's get straight into this. Well, sorry. Before I get into my questions about laughter, um, I just said I would do a little recap on how I came across you. So sure. it was during the Black Lives Matter movement, and of course, you know, everywhere, everywhere on social media, no matter what platform you went onto. There were videos and articles and everything, every form of media. Um, it was all about Black Lives Matter at the time. And um, you could get so much information and so many different, you know, articles and essays. And yours was the one that I just really loved from start to finish and understood from start to finish. And it was just so accessible so I I just wanted to make a note of your name and I just was like I'd love to talk to this girl and I looked up all of the other stuff you've done and I was like I I just hope and I I totally did not expect you to even respond to me when I reached out I was like nah she's too busy she's slaying in her lane see what I did there see what I did there I do I appreciate it So, so that was when I, I wrote to you on Instagram and you so kindly wrote back and said yeah let's do this so thank you so much for agreeing to do it Thank you for having me. I think it sounds like a great, I mean, it just, I just love the concept so much. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm super busy, but I was like, I'm definitely going to make sure I carve out some time for this because it sounds, it's, I'm looking forward to it. So amazing. <laughs> no okay. Pressure. Well, uh, no, no problem. Okay. Let's just get into it. Okay. Yami Edagoki, your first memory of laughter. Oh, that's such a hard question. I think I was quite a, I see my memory before anything sort of before the age of like eight it's like complete like just fog (laughs) but when I do think of like my first memories probably plural of laughter 
they always take place with my sisters because my sisters are literally the funniest people I've ever met in my life. Like both of them are just, I can't pick who's funnier. I won't pick who's funnier because I'll probably get in trouble. But like, honestly, they are just the funniest people ever. Um, and when we were sort of growing up, I guess like, you know, all 90s kids like, you know, watch a lot of television and stuff. But like, we didn't really have like, I guess, um, a PlayStation or like the latest toys necessarily. So there was a lot of sort of imagination and a lot of sort of games that were like made up for ourselves and for our own kind of like, there were a lot of sort of private jokes and like, um, you know, I guess entertainment that was spawned of our imagination. So like we have the most surreal and weird and just completely incomprehensible if you're not one of the three siblings like humor and jokes ever so yeah I always I guess my first as I said memories would be in my living room in our family home with my sisters taking the piss out of something and I always say that it's due to my older sister that I can't watch anything like seriously I can't watch anything that's like remotely taking itself seriously without like a running commentary taking the piss out of it because <laughs> when we were younger like when we were younger like you know boy band videos for instance we'd like stand in our living room never sit I don't know why but we'd always like stand in our living room like watching the tv and like there'd be all these different boy bands and it's like I guess a lot of girls like enjoyed it in earnest and really like took it like oh my god seriously in fandom and stuff I've never been able to be part of a fandom or take anything seriously because my older sister who's six years older than me just spent the day like ripping like, <laughs> boy band taking the absolute piss being like oh my god would you look at him like oh my god look at that dance like that's ridiculous and then me and my little sister just ended up doing the same thing so now like when we enjoy anything it's like with a running sarcastic commentary to the point where like I honestly feel like when we saw Gogglebox as a concept we were like <laughs> my, I'm pretty sure we invented Gogglebox because we just <laughs> like just with a running commentary on anything to, the, to this day we still watch like me and my little sister like you know, we watch a lot of, like, lifetime thrillers. You know, those really cheap, like, <laughs> badly done, like, Hallmark films. And, like, we watch them just because we know that, like, it gives us the space to just be completely unserious with it. So, yeah, my sisters are definitely, like... I don't know what that first memory full stop would be, but I know my sisters, both of them would definitely be in it. I'm, so, it I'm so interested to know, what did your sisters go on to do? Like, was is your eldest sister now a critic, or what's the story? Oh my god, she bloody should be, shouldn't be? Because she <laughs> she is like literally the most harsh. But just it's the reason she gets away with it as well is because it just there's no malice. It's just she just doesn't take anything seriously. But she's not actually. My older sister's a journalist as well. Okay, fine. <laughs> the one who went into the kind of more because I write a reality TV column um for the Guardian and like. I do actually watch reality TV like completely non-ironically and really love it. But like, I'm really critical of it. Yes. And I think that critical nature comes from my older sister, but she's like a very serious journalist. Um, she's at BBC News Africa. And my old little sister um, studied politics and international relations, got a first. So it's like, no one actually went into that space of like, kind of just dragging things for entertainment, except me kind of, because I kind of sometimes do reviews, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm, I'm so, okay, just off the top of your head, straight away, best reality TV, TV show ever? Ever? Oh, oh, because of my job, I will have to give you three. I'm so sorry. Okay, that's no, okay, that's okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'd say, you know what, best, I would say Towie in its prime. Towie in its prime in the sort of like, 2011 to 
2015 era was phenomenal. Right. Um, I would say Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> Great it, choice. Right. Late Celebrity Big Brother, kind of when it was like in between, just about to move to Channel 5 was fantastic. And I would say Love and Hip Hop, which is super underrated. A lot of people in the UK don't watch Love and Hip Hop, but it's like a kind of, I hate the word urban, but it's kind of like an urban um, reality TV show that focuses on like these rappers and singers and like their girlfriends and stuff and it is the most toxic and dramatic thing i've ever seen in my life a good runner-up would be selling sunset but it just feels too new it feels too new for me to give it the accolade yet did you see what romaine and mary dressed up as for halloween no oh my god what was it i won't i won't ruin it for you you need to just go and look at it okay it's just romaine (laughs) romaine is just too much okay Yami, the first time you felt laughed at? Oh my God. The first time I felt, I mean, it probably isn't the first, but like, you know what, for the sake of the, for the, sake of the podcast, I'll tell you, one of the first times I, I really distinctly remember being laughed at was like once in assembly where I sneezed. And this is the thing, I sneezed and, and now it's been so long. I, I can't actually remember whether I was telling the truth in terms of what happened next, because do you know when it's been so long and I, I, it's been so many years, I don't know if I was lying or if I was telling <laughs> the truth, but I sneezed and I either, it either sounded like a fart or I did fart. <laughs> and I said it sounded like a fart. And now I can't remember which one's true because it's been so many years. <laughs> I was literally like six, but I don't know which one it was, but I think I can't remember. I, I'm like, maybe I did fart. And you it definitely sounded, did. Or, or, I probably did. <laughs> but you I would... know that, like, I said I didn't, um, <laughs> which I probably was lying. But, like, I remember, like, <laughs> it's like, I can't actually believe that, like, I, I, I at the time, it's so funny thinking back how, how it truly felt like my world was, like, collapsing in on me. Whereas now we're, like, literally living through, like, a global pandemic. It's just like, <laughs> Jesus, six-year-old me's life was, like, so cushy. So I thought that was the worst thing that would ever happen to me. And it really was for a long time. Um, but, yeah, like, I farted or sneezed or both, whatever. I, there was a sneeze involved. And then I literally just remember everyone, like, this is an assembly. And this is no. like the assembly that you're like sat down cross-legged because you're like a child. <laughs> so it like rippled all the way from the front. I was like, I have a wrist, like year one or two. I was souping up. So I just remember it like rippling all the way from the front, all the way to the back, like the gallows where like the older kids sat back on the like benches and it just, it just a wave. And I literally just got up and left. No! <laughs> I just got up and left. I just literally went straight into the toilet and just started crying. <laughs> and then no! It was... It was it was insane. And I was just like, oh my God, like this is the worst day of my life. Talk, talk to me about you in school. Uh, did you know that journalism and, and writing were going to be a big part of your future? Or is it something you kind of discovered later in life? I discovered it well later in life. Um, I always liked writing. Um, I really liked writing. My dad, like we used to have this, um, as I said, we didn't have a PlayStation. So we kind of had like these really weird, my dad was like, <laughs> I, I guess like he was kind of, um, I don't know what resourceful like he would kind of like get us stuff that was like not in any way like related to things that people that our peers were doing and kind of really sell it to us as if it was really cutting edge so like we used to watch like um lots of um there was this cartoon called Archie's TV's Funnies from like the 70s and a lot of like Oklahoma and like Singing in the Rain and he'd be like yeah these really old ass films from like the 50s and 60s and 70s and 
he would like kind of sell them in as if they were brand new and be like, <laughs> yeah, there's this great film. So we like grew up on all these like random films that like had nothing to do with our generation once everyone else was like watching Lion King. So it's kind of the same <laughs> with like games. Oh, sorry, my doorbell has just gone, so I'm going to mute. Yeah, go go ahead, get it. It's, it's finished now. Okay. God, I might, I might <laughs> go ahead. But yeah, so my... um dad bought this video like he bought this computer game called um storybook weaver which you used to use to basically write stories as per the title and it was like you know you could like illustrate it with like different like pictures and like create all these like stories and like i used to use that and my sisters used to write that use that to like write all these like random fairy tales and like uh, god there was one called like baby world which i think i can't remember again if my no i think i wrote that one and it was basically just the rugrats but like (laughs) just kind of like completely appropriated the rugrats and like my sister had the magic cup and it was just all these like really weird like fables and fairy stories that we used to like write so i really enjoyed writing fiction and stuff but like and I just like writing generally and was good at it, but never thought of it in terms of it being a career. Don't really know why. I guess because I do a lot of art. I paint a lot, even to this day. I'm not so much, not as much as I'd like to, but I still like paint. There's a sculpt, you can see it there, a sculpture of me in the background. Yes. And like, I, I, yeah, I really love a bit of art. So I felt like art was my thing. And I didn't want to do that professionally, but that was what defined me as writing was just kind of this like random thing I enjoyed doing. So it wasn't honestly till uni, I'd say, that I was like, yeah, actually, this could be something that I like made a career out of. Before that, it was literally just a hobby. And could you ever have anticipated getting to this point, you know, doing all you're doing now? It's a weird one. It's like, on a like on one hand, absolutely not. And then on the other hand, I'm like, well, of course, because it's like, I was really confident as a kid in terms of like, I knew that I wanted to like, do whatever I did I knew that I wanted it to be I wanted to do it to like the best of my ability for sure whether that was like I wanted to be a lawyer at one point god only knows why um I wanted to be like uh I don't even know what else I wanted to do to be honest other things I maybe I guess to be honest I never really wanted a job I was always like oh, I just want to like <laughs> land into like well, I want to win the lottery basically <laughs> yeah. but when, when it did come to like me potentially like thinking of what I wanted to do I just knew I wanted to do something and be really like good at it and like establish myself in it I don't know if I foresaw it'd be journalism necessarily but it makes a lot of sense now I look at myself in hindsight but I definitely know I had I was I was I wouldn't necessarily say massively ambitious in terms of like um I don't know I wouldn't say I was like the most ambitious person but I definitely knew that I guess I'm Nigerian I knew that I had to do whatever I was going to do to like the best of my ability. There's a real kind of like pressure in terms of like, like culturally on that. I knew that like I couldn't half-ass it basically, especially if I wanted to do something I liked. If I was going to be a doctor, my parents probably be a bit more like, okay, that's fine. But if I'm going to be a journalist, it's like, well, you've <laughs> got to be the best running journalist ever because we don't get paid anything. So they're like, you've really got to like bring it then. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, I am surprised at certain things. But I did, I did back myself from a young age, to be fair. And you haven't looked back since going into journalism? Not at all. Not at all. I think now, like, it's weird how millennials kind of have, like, almost a... Having a portfolio career is, like, a kind of really posh thing. to norm, it, Like, generally, it's considered quite posh. But, like, I feel like every millennial, regardless of their background, basically is in a job for, like, 10 minutes and then, like, kind of does something else. Yeah. And is very, like, all over the place with their work. So I feel like I definitely do stuff that... I didn't think I'd do such as like I don't know like brand campaigns are new (laughs) like yeah I never expected to do stuff like that um but and like hosting things is new but um in terms of writing 
that will always be absolutely my my bread and butter i think okay yummy the moment if you didn't laugh you'd cry i mean there are quite a few to be honest but one moment that i think really like i look back on god okay i'll give you i'll give you a primary school one but then i'll keep that short because i might follow it up because <laughs> i guess I, I guess i'd say i have two that kind of spring to mind like there was one time in primary school where i obviously as i said i paint and like i draw and like um i will never forget i went to um uh, it, we had an assembly and it was like we, they, we basically had like an art competition or something to design like a poster about food or something i i can't remember the ins and outs of it this was probably like literally just a few weeks before the the fart incident like it was <laughs> this all happened during a very traumatic like term at school and like um i'd entered this picture for this like school competition and um you know god it basically we had an assembly so much, i've had very dramatic assembly i was just gonna say um honestly this this one was now i look back on this i'm like this was extraordinarily dramatic dramatic though um and they announced to one i've never actually told this story before they announced to one and it was a girl called rosie um and i'll never forget that they, you know, they were applauding her. She went up on the stage. I remember thinking, oh, I thought I was going to win this, but fair enough, Hands, hats off to Rosie, like, fair enough. And they held up um, the picture, like, they unrolled the picture that had won um, next to Rosie. And it was my, it was my art. No! <laughs> it was my illustration. Yeah. And she literally just crossed my name out and written Rosie. And, like, that kind of childhood, like, backwards E, like, text. And no. I swear to God, in the middle of assembly, I went, that's mine. And then they were like, what? And I was like, that's mine. I drew that. And then the teachers kind of looked at it, looked at Rosie, looked back at me, and then literally just asked him to come on stage, told Rosie to sit back down. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, actually, you're me one. <laughs> and everyone just kind of cracked. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, and it was crazy because me and Rosie were like friends. We stayed friends everything was fine i didn't really think I, I remember it was like maybe a couple of years later i thought god that was that was a bit like especially because i think like um at my school and at lots of schools there's always like an underestimating of like black students for sure um it, there's so, i have so many ridiculous stories like that i had a story where i did this uh, it's in it's in our book saying your name i had a story where i did this audition for um the part of sandy and greece in my school play God, I'm making my primary school sound terrible, but it no. actually was fantastic. <laughs> and like, I did this audition and I didn't get the part of Sandy. I got the part of Rizzo, but because the girl who played Sandy couldn't sing, I sang all of Sandy's no. songs. No, no. <laughs> they rewrote the script. So I was like singing Hopelessly Devoted to you for no reason. It was like, they wrote, they wrote it in so that like, so I, I have so many random experiences that I look back now and I'm like, was that a little bit, racialized was that a little oh bit God. but at the time i was like kind of like i don't know even now when i think about it it's like i was t i remember telling my co-author the, the story about the sandy and danny thing and she was like do you have any clue how racist that is and i genuinely like it's like i guess i did but like it wasn't absolute if i didn't laugh i would absolutely be crying at just how crazy like um, you were just like yep but do this is just what's happening i was totally just like i remember thinking like i guess my thinking with the sandy one was um the girl who got the role jackie she 
was blonde and I remember thinking oh I guess she is blonde and she's got blue eyes rather than thinking of it as like you yeah. know this is actually racial because like yeah she, just because she looks more like Sandy like does not mean that she should actually get the part and like they should rewrite the script um but yeah those I guess those were like those are quite young ones so I guess like an older one would be when I um when I was at uni and there was this guy that um I, I don't even know how to describe our relationship, like probably like an acquaintance, I'd say, barely an acquaintance. We lived in the same halls. And I was talking to um, a friend of his, like we'll kind of like, you know, fancy each other or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember he said something like, oh, you know, um, you know, I, I, I'm interested in you or whatever, but, you know, I know that you have a thing going on with, well, I was about to say his name then, but I know you have <laughs> a thing going on with this guy. And I was like... I, I do. And he was like, yeah, he said that you guys have like um, slept together. And at this point I hadn't slept with anyone in my life. <laughs> Stop. So I remember like going into his room, but I've always been quite like an open mind. And it was like, I was never like, I'm not sleeping with anybody yeah. because like I'm religious. It was just yeah. truly, I just hadn't. So I guess I behaved in a way that made him think I was somebody he could lie about that with and no one would no one would know because he I guess he assumed like oh she probably sleeps around so like which would be completely fine anyway yeah. but it's like I think he kind of assumed because of how I behaved that like he, that was a lie that he'd get away with so I remember just going into his room and being like I've, I've never had sex with you and like like literally in his face I was like why did you say I've had sex with you I haven't had sex with you and just I've never like he didn't he to this day he's never explained why he said it he just looked at me he just looked at me <sighs> completely like it like literally he had seen the ghost of like fucking I don't know who it was and I burst out laughing because I was just like this is so surreal like I guess people don't get don't expect to be confronted with their lies in that way so when I said it and I just asked him really like not angrily at all I was just like why did you say I texted you I haven't and his friends were there he just looked at oh, me. Oh, I, I love, remember, I like, love that his friends were there. Way. Were they all, they <laughs> yeah, were all listening. So confused. I was just like, I, th- I think I was saying I'm quite naive as well. So I wasn't even initially like, that angry. I was just confused. Kind of like with the poster thing. Yeah. I was just like, why did you say this is your picture? It's mine. I was like, why did you have sex with you? I didn't. And he was just like, <laughs> he never, he never responded. He just looked at me and it, well, you could hear a pin drop. And then I just remember walking out and bursting out laughing and like being like, well, that was weird. Like, but I now again, I think back to it. And I'm like, wow, men really think they can just like make things up and like oh, try to like. He never you know, ever. Like, he did in not. The name he, of he, prowess. He, yeah, he never. He never thought you would confront. Oh my god. Never, never. It was ridiculous, but it was funny. I have to be. <laughs> it was sexist and it was fucked up, but it was genuinely like. It's one of those things, now I've mentioned it again, I'm like going to go to my group chat and be like, oh my God, do you remember when he said that? I- <laughs> and, I, and I hadn't even had sex. That's what, that's what like was so scandalous. Is that yes, like, yeah, I yeah. hadn't, because when it came out, I'd never had sex. I was like, but I haven't had sex. And everyone was like, what? I was like, I haven't. <laughs> I don't know why you got, just because I'm not like massively prudish doesn't mean I've had sex. And then you feel like you're you're fessing up to something and you're like, it's not even a... Oh, you've made it weird. This, oh you're, my God. You it was, made it this. It was bizarre. Oh I was 18. God. It was my first time away from home. And like, honestly, it was so dramatic. And I just, it was, it was bizarre. And to this day, he's never explained himself. Well, I'm glad you were able to laugh and you didn't cry. I did. I didn't cry at all. I, I've just give, given you three unprovoked. You no, they're great. They're perfect. Okay. Okay. Yummy. Your no laughing matter moment in life. So a moment in life where there just there was no room for laughter. Oh, no room for laughter. I would say I say this a lot actually, but in different contexts. Like I bring this matter up a lot, which was when I went to uni and um, 
I obviously I understood and knew what racism was um, because I'm black and in Britain. So I had an understanding of it, but I think it was a very kind of like basic, um, like a primordial understanding of what racism was. It, it kind of sat outside of like an institutional systemic um, understanding of it, which I still think a lot of people are are stuck at and, and we're all at different levels in terms of consciousness um, with what, what constitutes as racism. So for me, it was very much like, you know, calling someone the n-word beating someone up because they're a different color to you like no blacks no dogs no irish signs in like pubs or whatever that's what i, I was like that's racism um i didn't really understand it in terms of things like you know statistically like black people being given older medication when they are like sort of taken um into mental health units and being more likely to enter mental health services through like um you know the police rather than like through um, the nhs and stuff all these statistics and stuff i had no i had no understanding of racism in, in on an institutional level so i never forget when i went to uni i took this um um external model called a module sorry called um race difference and society by a guy called peter ratcliffe and um, I went into the lecture thinking it was basically going to just be like, yeah, it's like sociology. Like, it, I think it was a sociology module. And I was like, oh, I've done sociology at college. Like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to ace this. It's going to be great. And then I just remember coming out like completely traumatized <laughs> because I was like, oh, my God, like there is so much stuff in terms of what race is and what it means in this country that I've never thought about. And I've been black at this point for like 20 years, 21 years. I was like, how have I like never had these conversations before? So I remember for, like the one thing that did come up was about like black people engaging with mental health services. And, um, you know, they he was talking about black people being given like medication that was out of date and 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 given like, um, and also like, accessing these services through like force and like, um, you know, sectioning and stuff more, more frequently than um, our white counterparts. So I remember kind of looking around thinking, but, but why? Like, there has to be a reasoning. It can't just be because, like, people rate, like, you know, people racist, society's racist. And genuinely, as it as the class went on, it just became clearer and clearer that, like, yeah, there are systems that basically facilitate this kind of treatment, um, and, and they're they're built without like certain ethnic groups or people in mind, and therefore the fallout is X Y Z, and people being treated X Y Z, and I and like the statistics in that lesson that lecture rather were just truly harrowing and i think because i guess obviously i've i was growing up in britain as a black girl for my entire life but also i was growing up as like a young nigerian girl and i guess my parents very much raised me to see success in this country as something that you know obviously i got the twice as hard like kind of conversation Mm. like everyone else did but it was like it wasn't I wasn't raised to feel like, oh, I, I have to be successful in spite of. It was very much, you're good, you're gonna be successful. You're gonna which is why when you asked earlier, like, did you think you'd you thrive and stuff within your career? I was like, yeah, because you know, my parents basically like, yeah, you have to. So yeah. I didn't really think about, you know, certain hurdles and barriers and statistically and likelihood and all that kind of stuff and how so many people's paths are kind of premeditated yeah. essentially by who they are and and where they're born and and you know and who their parents are. And it just really knocked me for six. Um, and I remember just coming out of the lecture and just gathering like every black person that like I could see within the kind of nearest vicinity and be like, oh my God, you'll never guess what I just heard kind of thing. And I guess um, other people are slightly more 
like you know further along in terms of their journey to like you know racial consciousness and stuff so it's to some people it was less surprising but most people when i was like and then there's this that and then there's that were absolutely like baffled in the same way just like wow like because i guess a lot of us hadn't thought of it consciously wow I mentioned earlier on that I first came across you from that Vogue article. It was kind of in the height of the Black Lives Matter movement kicking off. A few months on now, how do you feel? Do you think things have changed? Do you think people have learned or are learning or are more conscious? Or do you think it's has it has it done long term good? I think it's too. I honestly think it's too early to say. I think Mm. I think people definitely are more aware. I think it's now about looking at what people do with that awareness and information. I think a big kind of conversation that's been had for several years has been like, you know, about ignorance and people just not knowing and people, you know, not necessarily having the same conversations as others, which, you know, means that then they're, they're not connected to certain issues. They, they feel like they don't know certain things are happening. Um, I think that that excuse is going to be a lot more difficult to, yes. to wield over the next few years. Um, but whether that in itself is enough to really create substantive um, change, I don't know. Because, I mean, you just have to look at, for instance, like the, the feminist mu- movement. It's like... I don't think that, you know, women's rights were so hard won because men didn't know that women were suffering or that me- yeah. men didn't know that women weren't, didn't have rights. It was a very intentional kind of mm. suppression of rights and continued. And I feel like that, uh, it's too, it's too early, honestly, to say whether, uh, where, I get, honestly, like, I feel like, for instance, if, is it tomorrow? If it's, if tomorrow Trump wins, what can we possibly, do you know what I mean? What can we possibly say if we, you know, end up with a with a Tory government again, like in the next, I mean, we've still got ages to go, but still like if, if somehow we, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not, I don't know. I'm not saying that like, you know, if you vote Tory, you're racist or anything like that. But I am saying that like this government in particular I mean, generally, I don't know what, it's hard not to, to, to say certain things. I know. Like, honestly, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know what conservative government hasn't shown a level of disdain for minority people. I mean, the Windrush scandal um, and Grenfell, mm-hmm. these are things that happened very recently. So I, so honestly, I feel like it will be about what we see over the next few years because, you know, all the awareness is there, everyone's having these conversations. But if we continue to replicate these systems that continue to oppress black and minority people, then just they just will show that the issue was never necessarily knowledge. The issue was a was an actual want to make genuine change. <sighs> ah <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking, you just got me thinking about tomorrow. I'm like, I can't, I can't cope with it. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm I'm honestly in like a suspended state of reality where it's like, I'm just like, if I don't think about it, if I just don't think about it, maybe it will just like slow time down enough (laughs) that like it won't happen. I just, I just don't know. Anyway, we'll keep moving. We'll go back to the happier questions. Okay, Yami, the person you always laugh with. Oh, the person I always laugh with. Who do I always laugh with? You know what? It's a new one, actually, because obviously my sisters are hands down the funny, like they are just the funniest people on the planet. But a new one is my mum. 
<laughs> that that is brand new. That's like nearly like lockdown new because like so I live with my sister, right? And my mum, we 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 live in an immunocompromised household. So my sister's immunocompromised. My mum um is over sixty. So you know, like we all, and I have adult onset asthma. So it's like triple whammy. We're all like you know like making sure everything's disinfected and very cautious about like leaving the house. So my mum used to like come. She only lives up the road, so she used to come down to like visit my sister and I. Um, but now she's like basically for the foreseeable, like pretty much moved in during um, lockdown because it's it's crazy because we just had the last lockdown and she was planning on going back home, but now we have another lockdown. So it's just like, oh, she's still here. (laughs) So yeah, like it's been really funny because it's like when I was growing up, me and my mom used to like butt heads like any sort of teenager does with like their, their parents or whatever. But yeah, like we definitely butted heads and stuff. And I was saying to her like the other day that like one of the most like, wonderful things about like this experience well the only wonderful thing because the whole experience has been horrendous but like one very small silver lining has been like realizing how like hilarious my mum is (laughs) like she's (laughs) she is like the it's like especially because i was saying that my sisters are funny in like a really goggle box running commentary way but like i'm literally like i need to get in touch with the commissioner about giving my mum I can't even put her on Gogglebox because she needs her own space. She needs her own show to just like do a running commentary on everything because like she is just the like most unintentionally hilarious person I've ever met. Like, it's just like, it's like, because I, as I said, we watch these like lifetime thrillers and me and my little sister watch them because they're bad. Whereas obviously my mom, like she's like, you know, in her 60s, <laughs> she watches them like so seriously. Like she watches them like she's watching like Goodfellas or like, <laughs> The Godfather, she takes it like she's to, there's no difference to her between these like Oscar nominated films and like literally a lifetime film called like we're watching a thing called Stalked by My Doctor, which is like <laughs> at the moment it's a four part like film <laughs> series starring Eric Roberts, Julia Roberts's brother. It's like probably the budget had to, could not have been more than like a grand. It's horrendous. <laughs> it's like horrendous. But like she's watching it really seriously and like giving us this like. Her, like the most it's just so funny because it's like she takes it deadly and deathly seriously like we're watching like a really really crappy one the other day I forgot what it was called but like you couldn't it was so bad that it's like even when the child actors are like, like lives are endangered you don't you, you almost you're, you're not even taking it seriously because yeah, normally yeah. it's really tugs at the heartstrings but you're like oh if that child explodes like this this is like a really crap life <laughs> Well, my mum was sat there, like, <laughs> practically in tears, like, oh, my God, oh, no. I really feel like I'm going to cry. Like, I mean, we were just, like, laughing at like, mum. <laughs> this feel like, mum, like, this film is heinous. Like, how you're even possibly... Invested. Yeah, she comment- oh, she's just something else, man. Like, her commentary is just, like, second to none. And just, it's even funnier because then we'll just, like, burst out laughing and she'll have no idea why. Also, like an inability to keep up with any plot which just the questions that she asks about everything <laughs> I remember like confusing everybody I'll never forget once like we were watching um um we were watching I think like a like this was years ago watching like MTV bass and music channel and my mum looked little Wayne he was like it was a music video with little Wayne in it <laughs> and she looked dead at him and was like is that Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> no <laughs> She was like deadly serious. <laughs> she was like deadly serious. She was like, oh, is that Whoopi Goldberg? And I was like, that is the thing is she says stuff like that every day. Like she's the funniest person I've ever met. But I didn't realize. Like, so I've always known she's like quite funny, but like 
I think <laughs> lockdown in particular is just like it's just because because obviously around each other all the time and it's like we're always watching telly and like her commentary on things <laughs> it's just like it's like I don't know like even like with this Eric Roberts film like the way she it's like you know how people like will attack people from EastEnders because they like they can't tell the, the lines between like whether they're real or not. For some yes. reason. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Attack, like, my mum's like that. Like she literally <laughs> like she like hates Eric Roberts now. <laughs> I, yeah, no, she's hilarious. I would love to be a fly on the wall when you uh, talk to that commissioner and you're like, I don't think you understand. She needs her own show. <laughs> she needs her own show. Like, trust me, she just goggle goggle mum. Like literally, just my mum. Like. Oh, whatever she's got to chat <laughs> okay yami the time where you had the last laugh oh my god i have to be so honest that is that is often that is often <laughs> I, love it. I have to be so honest i am like i think because i'm super i think because i'm very like i'm not a risk taker at all i'm very like methodical and i really think before i do stuff so like honestly, I very often have the last laugh. I'm just trying to think of examples that I can talk about, like because there's so many things that have happened where I'm just like, I knew it. Like there's just so many things that like. And do you mean I like? Will... Do you think like? Do you mean as in people would have laughed at you maybe for treading too carefully, and you're like, in the end, you're like, you see. It's like both. Like it's like it's like often like I mean even with this pandemic, for instance, right? Like no one's laughing, but like I shit you not i bef- the i had had masks since february i've had sanitizers since february i have had gloves since february because i will never forget getting on the tube and like you know like it's obviously a very large like east asian tourist population in london right and i remember like just as coronavirus was starting i remember i kept seeing lots of um people from east asian countries wearing masks and i remember being like oh what's going on like and because i at this point i was off twitter <laughs> which is terrible because it's like i'm off twitter so i don't know what's happening in the news <laughs> yeah. i didn't know that coronavirus was a thing till like late february and it was i swear to god it's because i saw loads of people with masks so i remember typing in like masks central london and it was like coronavirus blah 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 and i remember reading several times that you didn't need a mask that you know um vitamin d hadn't been proven that that would have any effect i didn't care i i bought shitloads of vitamin d i bought up masks off amazon i bought like i haven't had to bulk buy anything we we did our regular shopping um but we made sure that we bought loads of things that were like weren't perishables and stuff because i've always said that like this pandemic has proven who would actually like you know when you watch a shitty film and like a horror and it's like oh come on like no one would ever actually do that this is how you survive i'm like i know i'd survive a horror film now because i every kind of step that you say you wouldn't take but you really would i'm like i actually wouldn't because as soon as i heard even the inklings of like i remember thinking to myself if people are coming to the uk wearing masks and taking these precautions why why are so many people doing this if there's no if masks don't work so i remember like stocking up on them um stocking up on everything that i needed anti-back sanitizers all that shit and then obviously like with time it was like actually you do need a mask actually vitamin d does have an effect even like um the second lockdown i've been saying forever we're going to have a second lockdown everyone's been telling me that i've been like just exaggerating and being um, dramatic but like it's not quite a last last, last situation but just in terms of knowing that I'm super cautious and yeah. like I take a lot of um precautions and 
um, it means that often, and I always do so because not just randomly, I guess like I have a really good like gut feeling about certain things. Like I really do trust my gut and often I'm right. Like there's just so many random situations where I've been like, I really think we should go this way for instance. Yeah. And then we go the other way and then it's like, we get lost and I can't, it's like the least <laughs> satisfying I told you so. Cause I'm always like, I flipping knew it. Like I said, we should go this way. Like it's stuff like that always happens. But yeah, like, um, yeah, I can't really think of like, that's the thing. No, that's so good. That's, I, mean, I was just going to say, so out of all of the interviews I've done and, and asked that question, that is the nerdiest response. <laughs> but but also up there is one of my favourites. I love it. I am I am a big, big nerd to be <laughs> fair. But yeah, I must, I'm a seriously, like, I don't know if you've been watching, um, there was that show, um, another fantastic reality TV show, Married at First Sight. And one of the couples on the UK version didn't work because she was like really freaked out that the guy was like a massive prepper and he'd like buy, like he'd like have like emergency medical uh, items on him and all this stuff. And I was like, I really like identify with this guy because <laughs> I am like a, preca- I love a precaution. I love to like plan and like make sure things that are um, okay. But even, even with, um, for instance, just in terms of a slightly less, like, it's still quite nerdy answer, but, like, my, <laughs> when we co-wrote our book, I remember that, like, um, we um, put it out to submission and um, somebody, like, had got back to us, for instance, and sort of said that, um, you know, one of one of the brands, brands, one of the publishers that had shown interest was, like, have you thought about e- extending it so that it's not just about black women and making it so that it's about, like, women of colour more generally and we were like no we're really going to stick to our guns we really think that this has to just speak to black women because we can't write about experiences we haven't had and like lo and behold it's like the book did super super well and I think it did well because it was for black women and yes. I think if we had done it and extrapolated it out it wouldn't have just it just wouldn't have had the same effect but yeah like just loads of little things but honestly like it's very rare that I walk away from a situation and I'm like oh no like I, I was wrong <laughs> normally I'm like knew it like, at the end of everything at the very end of everything yeah love it okay Yami if laughter wasn't the best medicine what would be so hard because it's like when I'm upset or even if I'm like my remedy for everything is peep show which is laughter like it's <laughs> everything insomnia depression fatigue like I always joke and say that like American dad cured my like depression at uni (laughs) because like I just used to watch it back to back but any time I'm in a bad mood I just put on peep show because it actually makes me feel very like viscerally better but so I'm just really struggling so I'm like peep show is my remedy and peep show is laughter I mean a a lot of people say food like someone will say a cheese board and wine like for you if you were to have a comfort meal what would it be See, I was going to say that's a good point because I was like, I was going to, I was thinking food, but I thought, God, when I'm actually in a bad place, I just don't eat, which is terrible. But I'm thinking maybe, maybe if it was food, <laughs> mm, I guess, you know what, even, even when I don't eat, when I'm upset, upset, I still will make room for haagen salted caramel. <laughs> I will oh. make room for that. It doesn't matter how bad, like, I, I don't know if I turn that down. I seriously don't know what would have happened to me. Like something very serious would, would be going on. So yeah, I'd probably say haagen salted caramel. That is a pretty good remedy for anything. But I'd prefer if it was accompanying an episode of Peep Show. That Now that, that can cure anything. Also. Okay, we'll say those two as a duo. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> okay, are you ready for your quick fire round? Sure. Okay, the actor you always laugh at. The actor I always laugh at? Oh my God, who do I always laugh at? Um... Um, what's his name? David Mitchell and Robert Webb. 
There's a two, but... Perfect. The actress you always laugh at. Oh, I'm just going to say the cost of pizza. Olivia Coleman. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the comedian you always laugh at. Oh, who is the comedian I always laugh at? Always. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say Dave Chappelle, but to me, some of his stuff's a bit ropey at times. So I'm like, <laughs> uh, I think I'll go for... I think I'll go for, you know what, Tiffany Haddish, when she's not doing stand-up, when she's in film, I always love her, to be fair. Lovely. And finally, Yami, your best or worst joke? <laughs> okay, okay. I, I literally have, a, a taxi driver told me this literally two days ago. Perfect. So I'm going to reappropriate it. Um, what cheese is made backwards? What cheese? Edam. But I'm... Uh, I can't think. Oh, mate, mate. Amazing. That's how bad it is. <laughs> it took really, a while, but we got there. It's perfect. That, that, that is like the epitome of best or worst joke. That is that is beautiful. Yeah, right, right in the middle. Yami Edagoki, thank you so much for sharing the last of your life. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Last of Your Life with Yami Edagoki. I hope you enjoyed it. This season runs right up to Christmas, so don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review, and all those other things. This podcast is brought to you by Collaborative Studios. Music